Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Newton podcast. This podcast seeks to share the truth of God's Word through the sermons and other teachings of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Newton, Kansas. We hope these episodes will be a blessing to you and your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, last week was so fun preaching three chapters that we're doing it again this week. Acts 24, 25, and 26. Uh, I don't particularly honestly like preaching three chapters at once, but I also thought it wouldn't be that great for me to preach the same message three times because these three chapters are the same thing over and over. So we're just going to see them all together and, and see what God has for us there. But as you're opening there to Acts 24, how many of you have ever considered skydiving? Nobody. One couple people. Terry, Terry did it. Well, Terry's braver than me. Because <laughs> in my head, the people that have either considered it or done it the only reason that they would do it is because they have, maybe you can correct me, but they have an immense trust that the parachute is going to open. Like, you're not jumping out of the plane. Hopefully you didn't jump out of the plane thinking, it may not, I don't know, we'll find out. But that's, in my head, the only way you're going to do that or even consider it is if you have a full trust that the parachute will open, which is why I don't skydive. I don't trust that parachute. There's no way you're going to get me to jump out of a perfectly good airplane. Not going to happen. But in the same way that a skydiver trusts the parachute to open, Paul, we're going to see, has an even greater trust and even greater hope in his God that even when facing opposition, he knows everything will be okay in the end. He has a hope that his parachute is going to open, that no matter what happens, it's going to be okay. And so as we look at these three chapters this morning, we're going to see Paul stand before three different men, yet each time he stands on trial before these men, he does the same thing. He, fo- he faces the opposition with hope in God, with the truth, and with a heart for the opposition to believe in Jesus. Every time, that's the same three things that we're going to see. He's got hope in God, he just tells the truth. He doesn't need to hide anything, and ultimately, he has a heart for even those who oppose him, who hate him, who want to see him dead. He has a heart for them to believe in Jesus. So hopefully, at the end of this message, you'll be encouraged as we face opposition in our lives, whether it's online, in person, with family, friends, random strangers, whatever it is, whether we're on trial for our faith in Christ, whether it's we're facing death because someone doesn't like Christianity, doesn't like Christ, whatever it is, hopefully we will be encouraged and see that we can face opposition just as Paul did, with hope in God, with just the truth, and with a heart even for those who are opposing us and opposing Christ. So, here we go. We're going to see Paul before three men. The first one is Paul before Felix. So this is chapter 24. And I'm not going to read all three chapters, so we're just going to see the highlights here. But I'll try to hopefully explain what's going on. So Paul is before Felix, and 
the opposition comes in. He's on trial. The opposition comes in. We see Ananias, the high priest, come in with his lawyer. He's standing before Felix. And before they give their accusations against Paul, they do what those who really don't have any ground to stand on often do. They butter up Felix. Like, we're going to try to get this in our favor any way that we can, even if we're just buttering him up. They say, we have great peace because of you, Felix. We have peace because of you. You are so great. The reforms that are happening because of your foresight are benefiting the nation. Like, look at all the good you're doing. We acknowledge this in every way and everywhere. And we have the utmost gratitude for you, most excellent Felix. And so we don't waste any more of your time. We don't want to burden you anymore. We just ask for a brief hearing. Like, that was brief, right? If you really wanted it to be brief, you just leave all that out and say, here's, here's what it is. But that's not what they do. They butter up Felix, try to get him on their side. And then the accusations start. This man, Paul, is a plague, an agitator among all the Jews throughout the Roman world. He is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He tried to desecrate the temple, which is why we apprehended him. Notice that they say they just apprehended him, but what did they really do? They tried to beat him to death. But no, before Felix, we just, look, he was desecrating the temple, so we just, we, we got a hold of him so he'd stop. No, not what happened. And then they say, if you examine him yourself, you will be able to determine the truth about these charges, which are false, they're not true. And then we see the Jews also join in the attack, saying this was all true. They're all behind this opposition against Paul and against Jesus. Now Paul, we see, is given the opportunity to respond with his defense. And here we notice how he faces the opposition. Read with me verses 10 to 21 of chapter 24. When the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, because I know you have been a judge of this nation for many years, I'm glad to offer my defense in what concerns me. You can verify for yourself that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem. They didn't find me arguing with anyone or causing a disturbance among the crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or anywhere in the city. Neither can they prove these charges they are now making against me. But I admit this to you, I worship the God of my ancestors according to the way, which they call a sect, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and written in the prophets. I have a hope in God, which these men themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection both of the righteous and the unrighteous. I always strive to have a clear conscience toward God and men. After many years, I came to bring charitable gifts and offerings to my people. While I was doing this, some Jews from Asia found me ritually purified in the temple without a crowd and without any uproar. It is they who ought to be here before you to bring charges if they have anything against me. Or let these men here state what wrongdoing they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin. Other than this one statement I shouted while standing among them, today I am on trial before you concerning the resurrection of the dead. Paul faces the opposition here with hope, an unfailing hope, a sure hope that cannot be taken away no matter what the opposition does or accuses him of. 
in the middle of his defense, after he denies their accusations, he goes into the reality of that hope he has. Look at verse 15. I have a hope in God, which these men also accept, that there will be a resurrection both of the righteous and the unrighteous. Paul says his hope is in God and that hope is concerning the resurrection that is to come where both the righteous and unrighteous will be raised. And for Paul, he knows that because of Christ, he is made righteous, which means no matter what happens to him in this trial, that parachute is going to open. When the resurrection comes, he is going to be safe in Christ. Here's Paul's own words about the suffering, like the suffering he's in now, compared to that glory that's going to be revealed for him when Christ comes and he's raised. Romans 8.18 I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Not worth comparing. Paul has been through an immense amount of suffering. An immense amount. And he's on trial again for things that he didn't do. But he says it's not worth comparing to the glory that's coming for him, the hope that he has. And it's ultimately because of that wonderful reality that present suffering is not worthy to be compared with the glories that will be, re- that will be revealed after the resurrection, that he's able to stand before them with hope. That's why he's able to stand there and take these false accusations and know that everything is going to be okay. And it's because of that hope that he's also able to face the opposition with merely the truth. He faces the opposition with the truth. The high priest, the lawyer, the Jews, they brought up their accusations, but they felt, again, the need to butter up Felix, to continue with their lies. But Paul doesn't do that. He just tells the truth. He simply says to Felix, look, I know you've been a judge of this nation for many years. I'm glad to give you my defense in what concerns me. I'm not worried about anything else. Here's my defense about what concerns me. And then he does just that. He tells the simple truth. Here's what happened, Felix. And he lays it out. I wasn't causing a scene. In fact, they found me ritually purified, minding my own business in the temple. No crowd, no uproar. And, and the reality is, one of the reasons I was even in Jerusalem after many years of being gone was that I was bringing gifts and an offering to my people. I wasn't here to cause a scene. I was here to bring help to my people. In fact, he says, these weren't even the Jews that were there. They weren't even there. How do they know what happened? The only thing that these Jews, this high priest that can that are standing here can bring against me is shouting in the Sanhedrin that I have a hope in the resurrection. And what did that cause? Them to cause a scene. Them to cause an uproar and fighting amongst another, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, over the reality of resurrection and whether they believed it or not. That's all that they can bring against me, Felix, is that I said this and they freaked out. Paul, standing before the opposition, he just tells the truth. He has nothing to hide, nothing to gloss over, nothing to to polish up to make look a little bit better. He tells the truth. You know, what do you do when you typically go to court? You put your hand on the Bible. I'm going to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's what Paul does. And he leaves the outcome up to God. 
Paul is potentially facing the death penalty, yet it is clear that he fears God more than man and makes sure that he has a clear conscience before both. Paul is living in line with what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28. Don't fear those who can kill the body but aren't able to kill the soul. Rather fear him who's able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And that's what Paul is doing. He can tell the truth here and just the truth because he has his hope in God and he knows that ultimately he is safe. He's okay with his body being killed because he knows his soul is protected and that heavenly resurrected body is waiting for him. So not only does Paul, though, face opposition with hope in God and just the truth, he also faces it with a heart for the opposition to know Jesus. After this meeting is adjourned with Felix, this, this trial, Felix says he's going to decide the case when the commander of Lysias comes down. In the meantime, Paul is kept under guard. He has some freedoms. His friends can come and attend to his needs. But it was also during this time of waiting for the verdict where his life is in the balance that we see Paul face the opposition with that heart for the opposition. One day, Felix, along with his wife, who is Jewish, called for Paul, and this is what happened. Read verses 24 and 25 with me. Several days later, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who is Jewish, he sent for Paul and listened to him on the subject of faith in Christ Jesus. Now, as he spoke about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became afraid and replied, leave for now, but when I have an opportunity, I'll call for you. Paul is summoned before them so that they can listen to what he has to say about faith in Christ. And Paul, as he is telling them about faith in Christ, tells them about three specific things. Righteousness. Likely, he goes into the fact that we are all unrighteous without Christ. That we have no righteousness in ourselves. And that's why we need Jesus and His righteousness. He tells them about self-control, something that much of Paul's opponents lacked, even Felix and his wife. Now, his wife had been previously married but left her husband for Felix. And Felix was a slave and now is governor. And we're going to see he has no self-control. Look at the next verse, 26. At the same time, he was also hoping Paul would offer him money. So he sent for him quite often and conversed with him. Paul, just give me some money, man, and I'll let you out. Just, just pay me some money and we'll, we'll make it happen. He has no self-control. He has no righteousness in and of himself. And then he tells him about the judgment to come. The judgment that would come at the return of Christ, where all those who are still in their sins would reap the wages of that sin and eternal death and hell and separation from God. And he's rightfully terrified. It says afraid, but, but it's actually stronger than that. He is terrified at what he hears. He's hearing the gospel and he's rejecting the gospel. And he should be terrified. He's afraid. He does not have faith in Christ. And even after hearing all this, he doesn't change. Instead, he continues on in unrighteousness. He has no self-control. And he's ultimately sitting under the judgment to come. He may be sitting in judgment over Paul, but Paul is clear and free before his God. Felix is not. And we need to understand here 
that Paul doesn't tell all this to Felix and his wife to shame them or to sit as their judge and pointing his finger, look how wicked you are. You have no righteousness. He doesn't do that. He tells them all this because that's what he was called to do. That's why he was redeemed so that he could go and preach the gospel to Jews, to Gentiles, and to kings and rulers like Felix. This is what he was called to do. And he tells them all this because in his heart, he wants nothing more than for them to see Jesus and believe in him just as he has. He has a heart even for those who would treat him unjustly. And boy, does Felix treat him unjustly. He said, when, when the commander comes, then I'll decide your case. Fast forward, two years later, it says, he's still in prison. And he's kept there because Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor. He just keeps him there. I'll decide your case when, when the commander comes, which likely would be fairly quickly, not two years, but he keeps him there for two years. Yet yeah, I, I don't see it here, but everything else I've seen about Paul, he would have over and over again reminded Felix, here's the gospel. You need Jesus' righteousness. Judgment is coming. Believe. Don't miss out. Because he has a heart for even those who oppose him, who mistreat him, who are wicked in their actions against him. But not only before Felix does Paul do those things, he goes before Festus and does the same thing. Festus, now we're into chapter 25, succeeds Felix and is now sitting in judgment over Paul's case. He hears from the chief priests and leaders of the Jews. They ask that Paul be moved to Jerusalem because they wanted to kill Paul, just like they wanted to earlier. They wanted to wait in ambush so that they could kill him. Do you imagine the hate you have to have for somebody for two years later? You're still trying to kill them when they've been in prison this entire time? But that's what they're doing. They oppose Paul that much. They oppose Jesus that much. But in God's providence, Festus doesn't allow that to happen. Instead, he invites those who have authority among the Jews to come to bring their accusations against Paul in Caesarea. And in Caesarea, the tribunal gathers again, and Paul is brought out. The Jews who made the trip bring their charges, yet it says they were unable to prove any of them. Shocker, right? Because none of them are true. So they're unable to prove any of them. Then Paul again gets his chance to give his defense where we see yet again face, him face opposition with hope, the truth, and a heart for his opposition. Read with me 25, 8 to 11. Then Paul made his defense. Neither against the Jewish law, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I sinned in any way. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, replied to Paul, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem to be tried before me there on these charges? Paul replied, I am standing at Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I have done no wrongs to the Jews, as even you yourself know very well. If then I did anything wrong and am deserving of death, I'm not trying to escape death. But if there is nothing to what these men accuse me of, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. In Paul's defense, we see him again. Just tell the simple truth. 
I haven't sinned against the Jewish law. I haven't sinned against the temple. I haven't sinned against Caesar. And when asked about going to Jerusalem to be tried there, he points out, I don't need to do that. I should not need to go back there. I have done no wrongs to the Jews. You yourself know this. There's no reason for that. They can't prove anything they charged me with. Nothing. He says, listen, I'm not trying to get out of death. If I'm deserving of death, then come what may. But I haven't. All he's doing here is telling the truth. He's just, here it is. Festus, I've done nothing. And if you can't do anything for me here, then I appeal to Caesar. Let's go to somebody that can. He faces the opposition with the truth. He faces it with hope. The hope behind all this. He's not trying to escape death. He is secure in Christ. We even see later on in chapter 25 when Agrippa, King Agrippa comes and meets with Festus that Festus himself reveals Paul's source of hope which is Jesus and his resurrection that guarantees Paul's resurrection. Look at verse 19 of chapter 25. This is Festus talking to Agrippa. Instead, they had some disagreements with him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus, a dead man Paul claimed to be alive. The disagreement, Festus says, is between the Jews and Paul and their view of Jesus. Is he dead or is he alive? And Festus says Paul believes and claims that Jesus is not dead, but he is alive. Paul faces the opposition with hope. Because he has a living hope. Because Jesus is a living Savior and a living God. So he's facing all of this knowing he is fine. He is free in Christ, though he may be in chains right now. And he also faces it with a heart for the opposition. Though we don't see it explicitly here like we did with Felix and we're going to see with Agrippa, everything that we see of Paul in Acts and in his letters, I believe he certainly had a heart for Festus as well. And again, that's probably why Festus is able to accurately tell Agrippa, Paul believes Jesus is alive, which is the most crucial aspect of the gospel. That's what Paul says himself. If Christ is not raised, then we aren't going to be raised. Our hope in Him, our faith is useless. But, but Festus knows that, that Paul believes Jesus is alive. So I believe Paul, who doesn't miss opportunities to love, does what he's called to do. Shares the gospel with Felix, shares it with Festus, and he's going to share it with Agrippa. Even those who oppose him and continually try to do favors for those who have nothing against him. He has a heart for them to know Jesus. Now we see Paul before Agrippa. Agrippa hears about this case from Festus. He decides he wants to hear from Paul himself about this. Probably intrigued him a little bit. So the next day they gathered again. King Agrippa and his wife come in. They have this grand entrance. They're important people, right? This is a big deal. And Paul is summoned to come in and and he does what he's been doing every single time. Opposition. He faces the opposition with hope, the truth, and a heart for the opposition themselves. Agrippa tells Paul that he has permission to speak for himself. And so Paul starts off with the hope that he has in God. In verses 6 and 7 of chapter 26. 
And now I stand on trial because of the hope in what God promised to our ancestors. The promise our twelve tribes hope to reach as they earnestly serve him night and day. King Agrippa, I am being accused by the Jews because of this hope. Paul tells Agrippa, I'm only on trial because I have a hope in God. Specifically, my hope is in what God promised to my ancestors and their ancestors, the Jewish people. The hope that the 12 tribes of Israel were waiting and hoping for to see. Paul says it's because of this hope that they are accusing him. So he's pointing to the hope of the Messiah that was going to come and redeem the people of Israel. And he's saying, it's because of that hope I'm on trial, that hope that I believe has been realized. The Jews don't like me. They want to see me dead because I believe and preach that that hope is fulfilled in Jesus by his death and resurrection. Then he says, essentially, I don't understand why you consider it incredible that God raises the dead. That's the next verse. Verse 8, why do any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I think he's, he's talking to the Jews here more than anything. They believe in resurrection. They just reject the one who claims to be and is the resurrection and the life. And Paul even sympathizes with them a little bit. He goes on to say, I used to be like you. I was the same. I thought it was necessary to do many things in opposition to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And then he goes into his testimony. But I really don't want to miss what Paul is saying here. He is being opposed because of the hope he has in Jesus. And yet it's because of that hope that he's able to face the opposition who wants him dead. When we face opposition because of our faith in Christ, it's ultimately because we have hope in Jesus and we live in light of it. That's why people don't like it. But even when we face it, we can face it knowing that our hope is sure. And he faces it with the truth also. Paul sharing his testimony with Agrippa. He doesn't shy away from telling the whole truth. Look at the end of Paul's defense in verses 19 to 23. Paul says, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. That is the vision that Jesus gave him when he showed up to him. Instead, I preached to those in Damascus first, and to those in Jerusalem, and in all the region of Judea, and to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works worthy of repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and were trying to kill me. To this very day, I have had help from God, and I stand and testify to both small and great, saying nothing other than what the prophets and Moses said would take place, that the Messiah must suffer, and that, and that, as the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to our people and to the Gentiles. Paul tells Agrippa, I obeyed the heavenly vision Jesus gave me. When he tells his testimony, Jesus showed up. I obeyed what Jesus told me to do. I preached the good news in Damascus, and then I preached it in Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached the gospel of Jesus and called people to repent and turn to God. That's what I was called to do. That's what I did. And that's why they seized me and wanted to kill me. But God has been with me every step of the way. He called me to preach to all people, even kings such as yourself. 
small and great. And as I've done that, I've preached the truth. I've preached that which God revealed in the prophets. He revealed in Moses and showed that Jesus, who is the Messiah, fulfilled all that was to take place, especially that he would have to die and rise from the dead. That it was also necessary to proclaim this reality to our people. We preached it to the Jews first, and many rejected it. But then it was also necessary to preach to the Gentiles. Paul is telling them, this is what I did. I did what I was called to do. I did what God wanted us to do from the very beginning. Paul over and over chooses to live in line with and proclaim what is truthful. He's not afraid of the truth. Festus, even after Paul's testimony, calls him mad, saying he studied too much. In other words, Paul, you looked at the prophets, you looked at Moses too much, you've seen too many connections to Jesus, you're going mad. Yet it was because of those words, the law and the prophets, that show Paul is not the one who is mad. Paul says in response that he's speaking words of truth and good judgment. And he points to Agrippa and says, look, he knows what I'm talking about. He knows the prophets and he believes them. To which Agrippa responds, are you going to persuade me to become a Christian so easily? You think it's that easy, Paul? He faced it with hope. He faces it with the truth. And then here we see Paul's heart for the opposition. In Paul's response to Agrippa's question, are you going to make me a Christian that easily? His heart for his opponents leaps off the page at us. He says, I wish before God that whether easily or with great difficulty, not only you, king, but all who listen to me today might become as I am except for these chains. He desires above all else that everyone who hears him be as he is. And what is Paul? What is Paul? Why does he want others to be like him? Paul is a man who has a parachute that will not fail because his parachute is the sure hope of Jesus. He is a man who knows the truth, the whole truth of Jesus and his gospel, and it has set him free. He is a man who, though he is in physical chains, seeks nothing more than to cast off the spiritual chains of sin and death that others are wearing. Chains that he's had gone for a long time now. That's who he is. And that's what he wants others to be. Church, we should all desire to be like Paul as well in that way. Because like Paul, we will certainly face opposition because of Christ in this life. Christ promised that. They hated me, they're going to hate you. And when we face opposition, we need to face it in the same way. First, we face it with hope in our God. Peter said this regarding the hope that we have. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Christ has been raised from the dead, and because of that, we have a living hope that will never die. Never. So even if those who oppose us should seek to kill us, we remember this from Paul in Colossians 3. You died already, 
Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. This life isn't all that there is. In fact, this life isn't even your fullest life. Your life is hidden with Christ in God, and that life will be revealed when Christ returns. So we face opposition with hope, and we face it with the truth. We ought to be like Paul. First off, he seeks to live in such a way that whatever accusations are brought against him, he can respond simply, here's what happened, here's what I did, that's it. He doesn't have to hide things, sugarcoat them. Here's what I did, not what they accused me of. You face opposition with the truth, but you have to live in such a way that you can actually tell the truth. We strive, like Paul, to live with a clear conscience before both God and man. And then we face opposition with a heart for the opposition. Our desire ought to be that all find their life and hope in Christ. Even those who persecute us, oppose us, slander us, bring false accusations against us, it doesn't matter. Our hope and our desire should be that they be as we are. The chains are gone. Death has been defeated. We have hope in Christ. We want that for them as well. Whether it's easy, like Paul says, or difficult. We seek that they be as we are, those who have submitted to Christ, found His righteousness, and are set free from sitting under the wrath that is to come on the disobedient. We seek to preach the message of the gospel so that all who hear may believe as we do. That's what we see Paul do, no matter who he's in front of, no matter what the circumstances are, over and over and over, faces it with hope, the truth, and with a heart for those who oppose him. May we be as Paul was. Would you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this recording of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Newton, Kansas. We hope that the biblical truths presented in this podcast will help you in your walk with Jesus. If you do not have a church home, we invite you to join us here at 1045 on Sunday mornings. You can find the church address as well as other information about our church at ibcnewton.org. Whether you are able to join us here in person or not, we hope that you will find a Bible-believing church near you to join as you continue to follow Jesus.